countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey! It's now time for more of the last comic shop! Yes, that's right. We are opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way under this giant comic book ten of ours. And we're keeping the lights on for the intellectuals and the troublemakers and the riffraff that are reading these books that are getting banned all over the place. <laughs> that's right! For the first time on this show, well, I don't know, there might be in other books that we've recommended that have been banned before, but this one definitely was, and hopefully it hasn't been banned in your area so they can pick it up. I'm the host of the most, Andy Larson, I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott, as well as my wonderful wife, Nicole Larson, who oftentimes joins us for these intellectual episodes of The Last Comic Shop. How you doing, darling? Drinking some wine. <laughs> See how intellectual this turns out to be if I can keep my eyes open. That's right. And it is it is one of those books where you're going to have to keep your eyes open, darling. It is part of our Movie May, or May at the Movies, Mayo Mays Movies. May uh, something like that. We did Star Wars earlier this month. We did Doctor Strange. We're going to be doing uh, Judge Dredd next week. And uh, we're also going to be doing uh, V for Vendetta by the end of May. But this week... We're doing a book that, again, not only was banned, but then also was animated. So you'll we'll talk about the animated movie in the second half of the show. It is Persephilus. Persephilus. Persephilus is what you almost said. Yeah. Persephilus is a whole different thing. Yes. Uh, it is Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. To help you out, Andy, the English translations, book one was uh, released in 2003. Book two came out in 2004. But we're going to be focusing primarily on book one today. Yes. So this is really the story of her childhood. Let's go ahead and get to J.A. Scott so we can get to that 10 cent synopsis. What happens, (laughs) J.A.? So this is a autobiographical graphic novel about Margie growing up in Iran, in Tehran. In the 1980s, so uh, she comes of age during the Islamic Revolution and then the Iran-Iraq War, and that's basically, unfortunately, her entire experience um, dealing with the shifting norms and cultural norms within Tehran and and the war. I still don't understand why this book was banned. Cause they said it was because it was violent, but like, I like- think I think it was for some of the depictions of rape and murder. Yeah, they torture that one and torture. Of someone being cut into pieces. So. That's. I mean, I, what I'm saying is, like, I've read other comic books that are as graphic. Like, I mean, we talked about it. I think on a previous show, like Punisher Max and things like that. It's not like there's like gore and blood. Like, I've seen comic books that have serious depictions of gore and 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 blood and entrails and people's brains being blown up. You you know, if you're talking about the fact that there's a scene where somebody's cut up, they're all done in a kind of a style which is very unique to this particular uh, creator. I don't want to say it's cartoonish because I think that's giving an incorrect connotation for what this art looks like. But, you know, we often talk about a book called Understanding Comics and how, like, when art becomes more simple in nature, like closer to stick figures. Abstract. Exactly. That it's easier for people to digest. It's more becomes more universal. Like, well, I, I, to backpedal a little bit, we, we're talking about this book being banned. It was actually my backyard where Persepolis hit the news this past school year when uh, it was agreed upon as part of the curriculum at a high school 
And then parents had gotten wind of that and had requested that the school district pull the book. And that's when all the articles and everything hit it. You got into all the, the topics of book banning and what should be banned and what shouldn't be banned and all that stuff. And then uh, eventually, after a review, the district decided that it was okay to keep the book in the curriculum, although they were going to offer alternatives. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm excited about this debate because I, I, I look at this book uh, from a couple of different ways. And there are a lot of things in here, some pretty graphic descriptions of what has happened to people. In addition to a lot of other thought-provoking things, and it's like, wow, I, I could honestly see parents being uncomfortable with this showing up in a school situation. But on the other hand, censorship is bad, okay? And, uh, <laughs> like, the fact that it had gone through a, a process and been approved, I don't think there's any reason for you to take something out because there are things in there that make you uneasy or, un- or uncomfortable. That's what I was I was going to say that, you know, sometimes we should be uncomfortable. I mean, there's a reason why this should make you uncomfortable, but that's also what allows somebody to grow as an empathetic individual to understand, especially when it comes to Iran. In the United States, it's often seen as this singular monolithic enemy, you know, thanks to the hostage situation. Therefore, then everything that comes out of there is just painted with a very broad brush. And this is very nuanced and allows you to feel like what her family went through, what she went through, and, you know, the horrors of war and the horror of trying to grow up in this shifting cultural space. And what I like about it, you know, it's done so well that it's not just all horror all the time. You've got these really funny scenes. It's life, right? Uh, you've got Absolutely. these funny scenes. She's walking down the street past all these guys hawking, hey, I got ABBA, ABBA. You want ABBA? <laughs> Jekyll Maxson. <laughs> and, and she's a I, huge fan of Iron Maiden. That's that's the yeah. and, and again. Yes. It, it's easy to think of some Iranians as again what he, she talks about in the book is fanatical religious zealots. And no, these were real people. These were people, and in fact, they were very Westernized a couple of years right before that. I don't know to have to go through all of that and to change all of their mindsets. Not a lot of people liked it at all. Uh, Nicole, you haven't done much talking. What do you got to say about this? I mean, I really liked it. I thought the art was very well done. Again, it was that more simplistic, I guess, art is how you'd call it. But I thought it was very useful in demonstrating what her point was. There's a lot of uncomfortable situations that have happened in the world. You talk about World War II, this conflict, um, Japanese internment, all these types of things. And I think for me personally, it's always more meaningful when you start to put faces with it. You know, when you have a personal story of this one girl and what she went through when you don't kind of just get wrapped up in this whole dogma of what happened and the politics of it, you know, when you actually really get down to that nuclear family level of what happened, you know, this is a conflict I, I honestly didn't know that much about. I mean, I watched the movie Argo. That's about as close as I got. I laugh, but as soon as you mention Argo, all I can remember is this tagline. It's like, Argo, F yourself. <laughs> With a quick comic thing, you know, that the script they were selling was based off of uh, Jack Kirby work. Yeah. 
in the yeah, real life story there of Argo. So anyway, I mean, this really, you know, it educated me. It brought up a lot of questions for me. And actually, um, we're going to talk about it a little bit later, I think. But the movie actually helped clarify things even a little bit more that I was kind of left a little confused by my lack of knowledge of the situation. But one thing that I did find super interesting about her younger years was how, like, involved in politics she was. You know, she was very kind of active in all of that and very aware of things. And, you know, immediately, again, jumping to a similar story, I read a graphic novel adaptation of Anne Frank's diary, right? And it's, it's very interesting because Anne Frank was very not involved with the politics. Her diary was so much more about the boys that she liked and, and kind of just everyday life that she was going through and not so much about the politics and what was going on. But in this, Arjun was super involved and I was like, dang girl, like... <laughs> So Anne Frank never put nails in between her fingers and made a fist and chased the boy down the street? No, no, absolutely not. You know, she How was hardcore was that? Well, yeah. it, it did bring up a, a kind of one thought that I had as a parent reading this particular book. I thought to myself, boy, I should really watch what I say around my kids. Because, <laughs> like, you know, so much of this book is based on Margie hearing things from one person and then another, and you see how her thought process, I mean, she's young, she's malleable, she's impressionable, and she hears these things from one source, another source, whether it's about the communists, whether it's about being in prison, and this impacts her from one point to another. She wants to be a prophet, she talks with God, and, and, and things that, that, that normal kids do, but like, Everything that comes out of these adults' mouths, she's taking and internalizing and coming up with her own worldview that is, like, completely influenced by just the things that she's involved with. Well, I think that brings up a good point. I mean, we always have to be cognizant of what we're teaching our kids. But one thing that I think was demonstrated throughout the book, whether it was with her parents or with her uncles and things, is they were very open and honest with her, you know? And I think that's something that, as parents, we all walk that fine line, like, how much... Of the truth do you want to give uh, your kids? How much do you want to protect them from the truth? You know, how many things do you want to not expose them to that are, are going to perhaps cause trauma versus, like, being truthful about things? It's a very fine line to, to walk, honestly. Yeah, and I think if you look at her family, I mean, she didn't grow up in sort of a quote-unquote typical Iranian family. I mean, her parents are middle class. They're well-educated. They're sending her to a foreign language school, so she's learning French, she's not learning in Farsi. Her extended family, they're all various levels of different governments, including a prince. And then you look at her grandmother, who's really sort of the rock and her rock, I think, in, in, in the book and in the movie, the one who is always bringing her back to sort of level-headedness and, okay, you've gone a bit too far, or this is why you don't do this, always be yourself. So I think one thing that you get throughout while she is changing sort of her thoughts a bit is she's very, very strong-willed, even as a five-year-old. Right. And it makes her as a character uh, very easy to root for. Yes. Because she's got – she's spunky. She likes to talk back to people. While she, her ideas shift, she's always very true to that idea at the moment. And so right. she's not being fake. And it's very fun. Like I said, the, the scene where she gets her friends to put nails in their fingers and chase that boy down because his dad was part of the secret police. Like, she commits. Whatever yeah. she's into, she is all in. 
So I, I don't want to jump too far out of this book, but I'm kind of going to because the movie does kind of incorporate book two. You know, she gets sent to Vienna for school, I assume, in her teenage years. It is really kind of sad, though, and I don't know if you guys felt the same after watching the movie, that, you know, she kind of lost that gumption a little bit. She kind of went from that strong-willed little girl to kind of defeated. I don't know if, if anyone felt that way. Uh, well, I, I'm going to jump in here because I, I think that scene at the end of book one where basically her parents take her to the airport. She's only 14 years old. They're going to send her to a foreign country by herself. I saw a lot of traumatic things in this book, but n- now knowing Margie and her story and stuff, that was probably the most traumatic event that I saw personally. That kind of was so powerful that I was like, I'm kind of glad that I ended the story there because like she turns around and she sees her mother faint and her father having to carry her away because she's her mother's so grief stricken. I, I don't know. I thought it was extremely powerful. Well, let me uh, let me confess something where I actually threw some twist of fate had extra time <laughs> before this show happened. So I, I did end up going through and finishing the second book here. And the first thing I want to say is the entire thing is filled with so much nuance. She's really admitting warts and all, and some of it's, you know, she's from this family of people that are are super into protesting and doing all that stuff, and here she is, she's like marching around the room, you know, declaring her love for the state at certain points, and like, it's it's things like that that Marjan ad- admits to, that in the beginning it's fun, and then you get to the second book, and she does lose her way. She becomes a drug dealer at one point. There's she, so much there. Yeah, she really struggles with her identity. Like, who am I as a person? Who am I as an Iranian? She gets married, and then she separates. So we're getting into the second book in the movie. But I think the second book is more powerful in terms of sort of an emotional journey for the character. But the first book is much better at helping you empathize with a culture and a people's and a situation that not a lot of Americans probably know about or read about or thought to care about. And what, which is why I think book one is so powerful as a book itself. Well, she's, yeah, she's your audience surrogate as she's coming of age and dealing with the extraordinary times that she's living in. You know, she has all that thrown at her in addition to just growing up as a kid. And so the second half, you see her broken down even more and maybe some of the consequences of living through those times. But at the end, you know, it ends on a hopeful note. She's built herself back up again. She's on the right path as things wrap up. Her journey is that of every kid, right? You have this uh, naivete as a young child. You're very malleable, but you're very, like, strong-willed. And then, you know, all teenagers go through where they kind of lose their way in their identity. But obviously, in her situation, I think it was exacerbated by all of the trauma that she went through and, and the cultural situation that she had. But one of the things that I, again, not really knowing much about Iran, to be honest, I did not know or realize how westernized things were. Yeah. Um, or how modern things were before this, you know, revolution and kind of everything reverting back to um, Islamic fundamentalism. And one of the things in the book that was always interesting to me is how you have these characters like the, I don't know what they were called, the vice police or, yeah, the council of, you know, people who deemed what was proper and what wasn't proper. But those people who are on that two years before that were doing all the normal Western things. Just how kind of everything literally within a very short time frame got totally flipped on its head. And and to go through that as a child just must have been completely 
disorienting. I, I just can't even imagine, you know, having grown up in a very, you know, stable environment. And, and so for her to come out on the other end, and again, not having read the second book, but glad to hear that it ends on a more hopeful note. That's quite remarkable. And obviously, she's a successful author now. And Right. <laughs> so well, and and I will it. say this. Honestly, I think this was kind of like the perfect way to explain what was going on in Iran. Uh, at the time, to a Western audience, because you've got an audience surrogate that is very Western, is intellectual, is raised by middle-class parents that are also Westernized. So if you want somebody that Americans can be like, really? Yeah, like that could happen here. Like somebody could go in there, you know, like all of a sudden put in, you know, religious crazy laws, and then all of a sudden we'd lose all our freedoms. That's what happened there. That's that. That's why you read this book. It's it's a cautionary tale about what can happen to society, and like it's exacerbated by the Iraq War that happens right after that. Because they even say it in the book that things are okay, quote unquote, for a couple years. Like things don't get really militant and crazy until Saddam comes in and tries to take advantage of a weakened political environment in Iran. Fear, terror. You easily trade away freedom when you're scared. It happens yeah. all the time. It's but true. one of the things with them saying the the one uncle being like, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. I mean, I think sometimes things go much slower, right? And it's, a, it's you know, little things that happen. And we even see it happening in our country um, with some things that, in my opinion, I'm not going to get political, but are going backwards in time, right? It may be just one law that gets passed, you know, and, and it can happen really slowly. And then all of a sudden you're like, what the heck just happened, right? And I think this just happened in a much, you know, quicker turnaround. But, you know, even then they have this thing where like, it'll be okay. It, you know, it's not that bad yet. Thought process. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to watch how things shake down between the idealism of certain goals and the execution of those things. The monster's calling from inside the house a lot of the times. Like it's the Iranian government. They're the people pulling the triggers. But then behind closed doors, life... They're having parties. Yeah, life finds a way. They're having parties. They're doing things that are just as outrageous as, you know, as anything else. It's, it's so sad sometimes. Like the idealistic uncles, you know, and you, you see what happens to them. And it's like everything will be okay. It's not. Not right away. And not in their lifetimes. You wonder why her parents stay there. Like, yeah. they seem so educated. They seem so with it. And they, they manage to send their daughter away, but then they never really leave. And well, but it is true. Remember, the dad said, like, so what, we're going to leave so I can be a taxi driver and you can wash windows or something like that. It's yeah. incredibly hard to start over. And um, and, yeah. and you're leaving your home. I mean, I, I yeah. it's not their story, but I had one of the things I kind of wished is they'd gone into that a little bit more. And I guess they do tangentially with how she struggles when she's abroad. But, I mean, you hear that so often, oh, why don't you just leave if you don't like it? I'm like, yeah, but this is my home. This is where I was born. This is where I grew up. This is well, where everyone I know lives. Why would I want to leave it? Well, and why should you have to? Right. right. Just because yeah. you don't agree with how things are going on. I mean, if everyone who doesn't agree leaves, well, then the, the country just continues on the path it is. So, I mean, yeah. I can see why they might want to stay. And I don't think grandma was going to leave. That was the other thing. I mean, I don't think they would have left her and she wasn't yeah. going anywhere. But it's just, it's so harsh whenever you, you look at the, the scenes of, of what's going on there. And that there's that one moment at the end of the book, there's the bombs that go off in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, she walks past her friend's house and sees her bracelet. Yeah. And it, it was the one instance where the movie went further 
than the book did. Well, let's wrap the, the book talk up so we can get to that movie. I mean, again, we only have so much time and we have two two different versions of this narrative to tell. Uh, so we often do a, a one out of four scale on our show for our ratings. So, J.A., what is our rating scale for this week? So uh, it's a little bit of a deep cut. But I thought an important part of the the book and the movie. Please uh, so say one... Iron Maiden songs. Please say <laughs> no. Iron Maiden songs. Ah! Yes, bootleg cassette tapes. One out of four jasmine flowers. Oh, nice. nice. Ah, I like it. Because that's how my bosoms are so smell nuts. <laughs> Yeah, so so what they're referencing is that her grandma's very close, as Jay mentioned before. Uh, she she does this whole scene where grandma evidently puts freshly picked jasmine flowers in her brazier every day to keep you know everything smelling nice. And when she takes her brazier off at the end of the day, all the flowers fall out, and it, it, it's kind of a very a beautiful scene. So that's what they're referring to, uh, and it's very sweet. It's yes, yes. it is. <laughs> And is your review sweet, Nicole? We'll let you go first. Absolutely. How many? How many jasmine? Four, four jasmine flowers. This is a serious book. It's not something that's kind of oh, I'm going to read this this weekend, you know. But it's so important, you know, and it's alongside of all those World War II narratives and any conflict narrative, really, where getting down to that personal level really drives it home, at least for me, right? I'm not really as interested in the government and the politics and the this and the that and the bombing and this that. It's really more down to the personal and what happened to them and she this was very well written i thought i thought the art lent to it very well even the quote-unquote graphics things i didn't think were really graphic i thought they were actually very artistically done and glad it's part of school curriculums uh, hopefully taught in our high school again it, it, it taught me something i didn't know about this conflict and it's always good when you're learning about something that you haven't been exposed to before okay ja how many jasmine flowers you given it yeah, it's four for me. Okay. Uh, I what I really loved, and we didn't really talk about how the book was structured, but it's structured in these little vignettes. So every three or four or five pages, you get a new sort of mini story, and so you're just getting like these glimpses of her life. I enjoyed that plotting and that story aspect of the book. So while you had overarching arc of, you know, the, for growing up, you have these little moments and some of them are quite dark and depressing, but some of them are, are light. And, and, and it, it, I think that is an accurate reflection of life, because even in, you know, the midst of all this trauma and war, the little moments of carefreeness and little moments of joy and moments of love and moments of caring. And I think, you know, that's that's life in general. Uh, Chad, are you going for Jasmine Flowers as well? Well, it's it, as you look at this, it, it, there's no denying this is important. And like Jay was saying, because it deals so much with the humanity as well as those big events, and it finds the way to thread those things together. And you have those moments of levity. You have Marjan as she's grappling with understanding and doing those things little kids do where like things get turned into a competition they talk about the martyrs and the heroes and like oh my dad's a hero and then she goes to the other girl at school you know who said her dad was on a trip she's like you know what that means it's like they're dead and it's just she's so cruel sometimes but that's kids are like that and to to, to see it all laid out on the page and the cartooning is wonderful it's hard to be critical of this, the way that it approaches so many different topics. And I mentioned it earlier. It's all about the nuance. 
And there are things in here. I, as a parent, as an educator, I could see people being shaky about, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't be addressed. That doesn't mean this doesn't give you an in or an opportunity to deal with those things. And for that reason, like this is masterful. It's hard not to give it a four. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm gonna, I mean, okay. it's, it's just that well done. So, yeah. I mean, let's make it unanimous. This is a four out of four Jasmine flowers. I, I, this is important for giving you a, a bird's eye view into uh, culture and a way of life and, and a point of view that you may not have had any experience with. And doing it in such a way that it's approachable, it's very universal. It doesn't need to be very graphically dense. But to Chad's point, it's also very nuanced with what it does. Like, it has a very particular style. And within that style, it really works. There's some beautiful pages where, like, things are whirling and twirling on the page. You know, there's scenes where Margie's laying in bed and she is on, like, a black background showing how lost she is in the void of her own thoughts, which I think we can all agree happens when you're sometimes a kid and you're dealing with really deep things for the first time. But yeah, as a, as a dad, you know, I, I should watch what I say around my kids. You know, we all should, I think. Like, there's a kid. It's like eight, nine, ten years old. Like, leave, let her be a kid. Like, it, it, it's, it's masterful. It's amazing. And I don't know. I think it's better than the movie, which we'll get to in just a second. We'll be right back after these commercial breaks with more of The Last Comic Talk. We're going to talk about the movie adaptation uh, it's an animated film that was released a couple years ago to high praise. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual live stream for The Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in. And myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop. It is now time for our Watch Pile Review. Yes, just for this month, we're reviewing these comic books that were eventually adapted into movies of some sort. We are going to uh, have this particular segment uh, before our recommendations. So again, on today's program, we're doing the adaptation of the book we just talked about. And J.A., who... Which she's avoiding saying the title of because he's worried he's going to mispronounce it. It's Persephilus. <laughs> No, not Persephilus. You're not getting Persephilus. Persephilus. Yeah, hard P. Hard P. See, that's why I'm staying away from it. J.A., who did this particular animated film? So it was directed by, again, Marjan Satrapi, who did the book, and Vincent Perrineau, based on a screenplay by two of them, starring Chiara Mastriani, who played Margie, and Catherine Deneuve, played the mother. And those are the two big names. Uh, it won the jury prize at Cannes 
it was nominated for Best Animated Feature at the 80th Academy Awards. It did not win. What did it lose to? A Disney movie, I bet. Ratatouille. So, so a, a French animated movie lost to a fake French animated movie. So the next time so you I was like, yay, my Disney movie won. Think about some of the things that might have lost because Disney has such a stranglehold on animation. I was going to say, that Ratatouille ride, that's fun going to the restaurant and people are stomping and everything. I would much rather that than the Iran war ride. <laughs> We're like, yeah. oh, my uncle. oh, here's my uncle had a heart attack. Nobody's going to help him now. Ah! Is that what the Academy Awards are supposed to be about? Uh, well, uh, Disney rides, yeah. Disney rides, yes, I agree. Academy uh, Awards, maybe not. Ratatouille doesn't make any sense. No one's going to eat at a restaurant with a rat. I don't care how good the dish is. Real quick, I don't know if it's on there. Did she participate in the animation of this? Because the movie art is taken from the book. So the animation was directed by Christian Desmaris, and they had a total of 20 animators that worked on the project. And she was sort of a art director for the animators, talking them through, these are the choices I made when I was doing the book. This is why RG is drawn this way, or this is why... uh, it's black and white, and then it's white and black. We're talking about comic books that were eventually made into movies in this particular month. Doctor Strange last week. Uh, we're talking about Judge Dredd next week. This is the only one that I can say, you know, hey, the person that actually worked on the comic book was intimately involved with the creation of the movie. Every other project we're doing, maybe they say it in the credits, like special thanks to uh, Steve Ditko for the idea of Doctor Strange. It does make me think whether or not Stan Lee, when he would see some of these older movies that he was making cameos in, was just like, nah, that's not what you do with (laughs) Iron Man. Yeah, he needs a nose. (laughs) That's the darkest timeline, Iron Man. Oh, geez. But one thing that Satrapi was worried about was that when you take her book and put it into live action, it would become a story about people living in a distant land who don't look like us. And it's very easy to be, oh, let's go watch this exotic picture about the other. Yeah, they would relegate it to something like, oh, that's nice for that. Yes. And the book is all about. You know, showing how similar people are, not well, just because they grew up in Iran and, and the religion's different, the language is different, everything, that they're actually the same. Yeah, and so going back to Scott McCloud's understanding comics, there's that triangle of the more abstract you get, the more people can relate to it. And so looking at that quote, that's one of the reasons why she went with black and white, because... The more abstract you get, the more people are to latch on and say, I can relate to this. And you you have fewer barriers because keep in mind when this book was released in 2003, Iraq, Iran, that was post-September 11th in the, in the United States. And like, ah, uh, boy, that's a, that's a tough time to garner any sympathy or empathy or anything at all. And so she's almost backed into the corner, I would assume, into making that choice, you know, to get an audience. Well, that's, again, you know, we talked about with the book, you know, bringing it down to that personal level. I mean, I think even though we're talking about a very specific culture and a very specific conflict and political change and cultural change for her, right, in the end, she's really just painting a picture of a child going through tragedy growing up, 
right? If you just bring it back to like the very basic premise of it. And I think that's what we're alluding to is that by, you know, using art that's very abstract and very simple, it, it just makes it very relatable for anyone if you just kind of take away those particulars. But I think it is important to, you know, obviously learn about her particular circumstance as well. And I think she did a pretty good job of melding those two things together. Well, to, to kind of recap, again, I don't think we require a 10 cent synopsis for the particular film because it's just the two books. It's it's not only the, the first book, which, you know, I primarily read, but also the, the second book, which we talked, you know, at, at length. And it, and it starts kind of a little bit out of order, though, with, I guess, parts of the second book. Again, I didn't read the second book, so I don't know if there's a scene where she goes to the airport and she's going back to home in Tehran. And then she, like, has flashbacks, which ultimately make up the first half of the movie, which is, again, the first book. So, like, they kind of use that classic narrative technique of the flashback. Oh, this is where I came from. This is why I have this trepidation about going back home. Uh, And by the end, she decides not to go back home. Her mother banned her. That's true. We talked about it earlier about how when they put Margie on the plane to go uh, to Austria for her education, you know, the mother kind of fainted in grief. And, um, you know, she was really strong when she sent her off. She's like, I, I forbid you for coming back. Yes. Um, kind of out of protection, but uh, obviously was completely devastated. So I'm sure that was in Margie's mind as well. Uh, but I guess that's my question because, again, I didn't read the second book, but I have two awesome co hosts that did. <laughs> that we didn't read it. Shush. What I'm going to say was, <laughs> in watching the movie, there's a lot of stuff that they cut out. You know, for, for, for time constraints and things, and just for telling a more cohesive narrative. Some things that I kind of think were awesome, like the scene where the forger runs away, and they have that panel of him on this donkey going up a snowy hill or something. And I always liked that picture. Like, I don't know why I liked that picture. I was just like, that's a neat picture. And, and so and actually, I really liked that they changed that because in the book, he did not call them and say he was running away. He kind of disappeared. And in the movie, he calls them on the, uh, on the payphone. And again, says they have to go. there are differences between the book and the movie. So for the second half, I didn't read any of the second half book. Is there a lot of differences with that second half as well? So the answer is yes and no. It was really interesting because as comic book fans, and we've talked about this before, sometimes you can be too slavish to the original source material and it leads to a subpar you know you have to understand the differences with the medium you're working in like certain things work for comic books some certain things work better for cinema and so it's neat to see because the main creative uh, focus was involved with this as well that they weren't afraid to make those changes like there's no eye of the tiger scene in the book per se there are lots of choices that are made because this is a movie that still stay true and faithful to the original story but at the same time the book is warts and all they they shave off some of the warts in the movie there are little things jay did you pick up on like there's one point in the book where marjorie is standing out on the street and the the police are there and they're getting ready to raid something and she's like i need to do something to save my own skin and she accuses a man of, uh, you know, making lewd comments to her. And, like, that's her getaway. Well, in the movie, they have the man, like, ogling her before this happens. And so when she turns to the police and says, oh, this man was making lewd comments, like, it's still an escalation. But not as much. They do that little bit to make her seem, like, not a terrible human in this one mistake. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
But then, you know, just to take that scene a step farther, that's where they're able to then go back and the grandmother says, even though you think it was okay, it was totally not okay. But I would like to quote Roger Ebert uh, on this especially because it's a film and it's a coming of age film and, and you know, it's a classic Hollywood trope where so many coming of age films rely on manufactured dilemmas to, to try to get their, their person to come of age and to, to go through a process. Here is one about a woman who did come of age and came of age magnificently. That's what Roger Ebert said about the a movie, giving it four stars. I think it's an important movie. I, I love what they did with the animation by keeping it true to the book, smoothing the story out, adding those scenes like the the Eye of the Tiger scene, using the medium and making it it's an animated movie. And, you know, a little bit avant-garde. It's not a Disney animation. Going back to that Ratatouille, I'm really angry about that, by the way. <laughs> feels like they shouldn't have been in the same category right because it no is, it's just totally a different a different type of thing it was also nominated for best foreign language film at the golden globes anytime you're judging art that's an unfair thing to begin with it's art yeah. yes uh let's go ahead and get to our rating of the particular movie and you can kind of sum up your final thoughts on the movie during the rating section because we do have recommendations still to do on today's show too so let's still use the jasmine flowers it's fine i think this is gonna be a wash but we'll see uh we'll start off with ja he's our cinema five did you watch it in the french ja did you watch it with the subtitles i did i did i watched it in the original french because oh, catherine Deneuve. catherine Deneuve. that's all i can say <laughs> um uh if i could add one complaint and this is more because my french isn't great enough that i had to read the subtitles the subtitles were in black and white like white with outline black and at times were not the easiest to read against the black and white screen so i they could have colored the subtitles yellow probably would have been easier to read though maybe they thought that would destroy the cinematic look of the film i don't know i I, it's four out of four it was really well done i think the fact that the creator of the book was also in charge and the lead of creating the movie but also relying on people who knew movie and and knew cinema and knew the medium as well. It married the two types of media very, very nicely. All right. Uh, Chad, how many Jasmine flowers for this? Yeah, no, it's a four. I mean, the things they did here with the animation while, you know, staying true to the essence of the story, but managing to, to give that little bit of life, you know, and then they also had, I don't want to say noir elements to the animation, but there was definitely a little bit of like shades of Bruce Tim style, just backgrounds that like inky feeling. Uh, The animation was, was value added to the story. And I'll be honest, I, I wasn't planning on reading book two, but then I started watching the movie and then they got up to the point where I had stopped and started to go on. I'm like, Oh no, 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 I got to read the book. Uh, before i before i finish the rest and so you know only by the grace of my daughter needing a haircut and my wife needing an oil change did i have the time to do that thing but uh i'm so glad i did just because they're both wonderful highly recommended four out of four great stuff all right nicole so i'm gonna go with 3.95 stars oh. so my only deduction would be that like if you are watching this later in the evening after a day at work 
and you're a sleepy mom, it's a little heavy and it's not like exciting. Uh, and so it can make you a little sleepy by the end. Um, but that being said, it was so beautifully done. I have a t-shirt that says the book was better, right? In reference to all these books that are turned into movies and things like that. In this case, I actually thought the movie was better. And maybe it was that little softer touch, but everything that they did with the animation really just added to it. Like I said, it even clarified some of the kind of questions I had in my mind about actually what was going on with the politics and things. The things that were edited out, like, for example, those graphic images we were talking about earlier about the guy being chopped out, that didn't make it into the movie, but I didn't miss it. And and I really do feel that the movie did such an incredible job of taking you through her story. Just maybe watch it when you're fully awake. And high school kids, it's different. Make sure you read the book if you're assigned the book. That's you can't right. just watch the movie and get away with it. But that's what I love about what you guys are doing, right? We're taking both mediums and we're comparing wow. them because that's what you're supposed to do. And see, that's why I am going to give the correct rating, which is a 3.75 for the movie, because the book <laughs> is better in fact we just had some we had somebody on this show give a four to the book and give a 3.95 to the movie therefore the book was better and i didn't even read the second book and i can say that now i am going to read the second book because i thought the first book was better than what we got in the movie why because we got so much more nuance and that's what I loved. I loved the little scene with the guy on the little donkey going up the hill in the snow. I don't know why I liked that. I liked the fact that they took time to talk about the, the communist martyrs. I, I liked all of the conversations that Margie had with God and how she thought God and Karl Marx were the same person. Like, you don't get any of that in the movie. And sure, it's because of time. This is more cinematic. This is more digestible. To the, and that's why it's not like a one or a two or a three it's a 3.75 that's a good solid grade but at the same time it's not the book read the book first then watch the movie and just be like okay yeah i'm glad i read the book first that's all i'm saying a uh, request to add a, a postscript to my review granted i also want to point out it was a 96 minute movie which is the perfect runtime for a movie it was not six hours split into three parts i will say that anytime you can watch a cartoon adaptation of a comic book you're better off and we're going to be back with some other things that you're going to be better off with our recommendations stay tuned being a pi you learn fast what seems like a normal case never is you never realize how much you're going to need your friends you can never guess how near your enemies are and you never know who to trust now I'm chasing down an ancient artifact. The only thing that can stop this newly unearthed terror. <laughs> it sounds crazy, but I'm not thinking how nuts it all is. All I can think about is the only man who's ever managed to grab my heart is right at the heart of this mystery. And why? Every time my heart gets involved in anything, there's always a monster waiting in the shadows to break it. Ripped from the pages of the self-titled comic book comes Dash, a new queer supernatural noir podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast Dash, on Instagram at Dash.noir, or wherever you get your podcasts.
back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for recommendations. Yes, that time of every single show where we give you other books that you can pick up at your local comic book shop or bookstores <laughs> that you might enjoy in, in addition to the book that we reviewed this week. See how I'm still not saying it? Persepolis. There you go. I got other people to do that job. And like them, they're going to give us other recommendations. So we're going to start off with Chad's. So Chad, what do you got for us? Okay, so we start off this week. We had a book that was turned into an animated movie. And so I'm going to go backwards and do an animated series that was turned into a book that was then turned into an animated Only not movies, shows. I'm talking about Batman Mad Love by uh, Bruce Tim and Paul Dini, the origin episode of Harleen Quinzel that eventually ended up becoming an episode of the new Batman Adventures. But originally it was released in comic book form. And recently I was at my favorite discount comic locations, Ollie, and I was able to pick up the hardback special edition for just a couple of bucks. And boy, uh, I could not recommend it more. In the back matter, they have all the process pages before they made the comic. There's the one alteration, whatever Harley Quinn asks Joker if she wants to rev up her Harley. And they made him change the, the position of Harley Quinn because it was too suggestive. But there's lots of other stuff in that comic they let go by. <laughs> anyway, but no, Batman Mad Love is a, a great story. And it's one of those things that you think, oh, it's a kid's story. It is not something that's really aimed at kids. There are lots of adult themes that are sneaking their way through on that one. And while nowhere near as nuanced or important as uh, Persepolis, it, it was a really great time and done by people that were really good at what they do. And it was something that managed to translate both animated show form and in comic form. So if you can get a copy of the new anniversary edition of Batman Mad Love that came out a few years ago, I highly recommend it. All right. What is your recommendation this week, J.A.? So my recommendation is a bit more in the similar vein. It is Year of the Rabbit by the cartoonist Tien Wiesna, who's a Cambodian-French cartoonist. And Year of the Rabbit is a graphic novel that tells the story of a family's survival in Cambodia after the takeover of the Khmer Rouge in 1975. So the artist himself was born three days after the fall of Phnom Penh in 1975, and this is really an autobiographical story of his family's survival during the Khmer Rouge time in Cambodia, how they're all forced to leave the city, they have to go to the countryside, the brutality that they go through and, and, and tragedy as they're living on farms and, and children are forced to spy on their parents. If you know how to read or you're educated, you're seen as a class trader and how they eventually escape Cambodia and become refugees. But all told in a similar style to Persepolis being that it's slices of everyday life. But at the same time, you've got these things you can only do in a graphic novel. You've got maps showing you, you know, how far they've come from Phnom Penh to break up the, the story sections and because it's a comic book and it's panel after panel after panel, you start to get inured sort of the way the people were, I think, in Cambodia to the horror of it all, uh, the deprivation and, and the and loss of identity. So much like Persepolis, I think a very 
important book for young adults to read to understand you know one of the great tragedies of the 20th century it came out originally in france in 2011 i think 2013 or something reprinted in canada and now available in english uh in 2020 okay well my uh, recommendation this week is not as serious as year of the rabbit uh, but it is no less heartfelt because this particular recommendation is a promise that I made to my son, Jacob. You may have heard Jacob on a recent show of The Last Comic Shop when we did Panel Pals and our review of The Adventures of Tintin. But for my birthday a couple weeks ago, he was nice enough with my wife helping him out a little bit to get me a great collection of comic books, which I absolutely adore. And that is the first volume of... The Madman Iverse Library by Mike Allred. If you don't know, Madman is one of my favorite comic books of all time. I consider it the book that I quote-unquote came of age with in terms of being a comic book reader. It was the book that I said, well, I bought this from Kitchen Sink Press, and it means that I'm a serious comic book aficionado now because, ha-ha, I'm reading these independent books. And so, yes, uh, Madman really captivated my imagination with the original Oddity Odyssey. And so it's a book I come back to and read constantly. And this, a wonderful hardback, almost omnibus format, collects basically my favorite stories from the Madman run. You get in this particular collection... For the record, which is kind of like his first appearance that happened outside of Odyssey Odyssey. Then you get Madman 1 through 3, which is the Odyssey Odyssey. Then you get Madman Adventures 1 through 3, as well as Madman Comics when they switched over to Dark Horse. And you get 1 through 10, as well as three issues of They, which is uh, an interesting uh, little bit. But, but basically, if you've never read Madman and you really want to know about it, this is kind of like the only book you need. There are There's a volume two that's been released, and I'm glad I have that as well. Uh, but that's kind of like almost like supplemental materials. This is all of the best ideas, especially my favorite issues, which are all the Madman Adventures. Issues one and two deal with him going back and hanging out with dinosaurs, and issue three is a kind of weird, crazy, Jungian trip into madman's uh, subconscious mysticism and things like that just great stuff so if you have an opportunity to pick it up it is wonderful madman the madman verse library volume one jacob thank you so much for getting this for me for my birthday buddy i really do love it Aww. So, speaking of Jacob's other parent, Nicole, what do you got for... <laughs> his other parent. What is his other parent? Did you get a comic book from Jacob? No. Okay. So, what's your recommendation then? Right. So, I actually have a little bit of a list. Oh, jeez! Well, she did read like 3,000 books last year. My God. Like, <laughs> check out her Goodreads list. It's like a book among itself. Anyway, uh, so I alluded to it a little earlier on in the program. I think if you have read Anne Frank's Diary, if you haven't read Anne Frank's Diary, the graphic novel adaptation I thought was very well done. So that was my first recommendation, but evidently I've recommended it before and I was told I couldn't recommend it again. That is true. Um, I'm going to confess, I haven't read this yet, but it's been on my to-read list. And I think having read this book, it, it kind of is prompting me to to read this again i'm just really 
encouraging people to step into other people's shoes, learn about something you've never learned about or don't have much uh, knowledge of. So George Takai actually has a graphic novel called They Called Us the Enemy, and it's about the Japanese internment camps. So I'm looking forward to reading that. In a similar thread, I have read a book about that several years ago, which I really, really loved. It was called Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. So if that's something that you're interested in. And then finally, again, going back to like a biography, one that just came out last year called Beautiful Country by Qian Julie Wang. You know, a, a story of her and her family moving from China to the United States and, and kind of how she grew up with it. And it really reminded me, uh, Margie's story, just in how there's a lot of trauma that happened to them and how they come out on the other side. So again, not a graphic novel, but um, a really well done biography about, you know, circumstance that I didn't have knowledge of and, and again, a chance to walk in someone else's shoes. Well, there you go. And See, we, my list wasn't that long. Yeah, and we hope that you walk in our shoes every single week by listening to The Last Comic Shop and checking out more of our comic book reviews in future. We're going to be doing, as I mentioned several times, Dread next week. Judge Dread. So we're going to be doing Dread Comic Book Plus reviewing the Carl Urban Dread movie. So if you like both of those things, make sure that you tune in. And you can do that by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com dot com it's a terrific place where you can find all of those podcasting platforms where you can find our podcasts every week including our links to youtube where you can find uh bonus videos and unboxings and interesting uh, re- interviews with comic book creators and make sure that you're paying attention from 11 to noon eastern standard time uh the last comic shop will be participating in the live stream for the cure event say basically an opportunity for you not only get a bonus episode of the last comic shop and all of our wonderful comic book goodness but also it is supporting a really wonderful cause we're raising money for cancer research so make sure that you bring your pocketbooks you know give some money to a worthwhile cause while letting the last comic shop entertain you for an additional hour this week again go out to www.livestreamforthecure.com to find the link to the event and you can stream it on your computers live from, again, 11 to noon Eastern time. That's one of my favorite things we do. It's an opportunity to give back to a worthwhile cause and have a lot of fun while doing it. So tune in. There'll be audience participation somehow. Uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> It'll be lots of fun, though. That I promise. Now, you know what else is lots of fun? Our social media. You can find us at Last Comic Shop, where you'll see things like our weekly polls on Twitter, fun golden age covers to put you to bed, some comic book factoids, uh, what we're picking up at the shops each week, all that and more waits for you on Twitter and Instagram at last comic shop. And if you need help with that, you can always go to our regular website, which is www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Uh, what else can they find? J.A.? And they can find a link to our merch store where coming this summer, a new design for the summer months. So make sure that you are checking back regularly. There's sales. Oh, I am looking forward to that uh, that summer design with the is it surfboards and, and palm trees and get that in a tank top, walk around on the beach. Support our show, guys. It's- I want to see if we can get one of those shirts that changes color with heat. Oh, Remember those from the 80s? They had a cool name, too. What were they called? Hyper color guards? Uh, hyper colors? Uh, oh, what was that? But no, I, I would get real sweaty, and those were terrible to have. <laughs> no secrets at that point. <laughs> Will you get to the recommendations? What did we we talk about on this week's show? 
So you can take your new shoes down to your local comic shop and you can find some cool things like Persepolis. You can find some Batman Mad Love. You can find Year of the Rabbit by Tian Visna or the Madman Madmaniverse Library Edition Volume 1 or They Called Us Enemy or you could go to a real bookstore and look for that beautiful country book. And you know what else is good? Our show. And make sure that you tune in for that bonus episode of this show and support Livestream for the Cure. Remember, www.livestreamforthecure.com. But until then, I was the host with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and the beautiful Nicole Larson. Until next week, stay safe, stay popcorned, and remember... That if you ever go abroad and you want to smuggle posters home, make sure you bring an extra large coat because it becomes in real handy. You may look like you have like huge 80s <laughs> shoulder pads. No one's going to get you what we're talking about because we didn't talk about that in the review. That's why they should read the book and not watch the movie. They cut the damn scene out of the The last comic shop was. A 2022 Black Angus production.